On episode 31 of the Writer's Way podcast, you get to know a gentleman who woke up one day and decided he needed to learn a musical instrument. Fast forward a few years, he's done over 25 one-man shows, he has a women's clothing line, and a very recently published book. Please join me and listen and get to know Paul Bennett. Welcome to the Writer's Way podcast, where we celebrate writers who have completed their books and inspire writers who haven't. Join Lori and her guests as they talk about writing, books, and life in between chapters. Hello, writers. Welcome to another episode of the Writer's Way podcast. I'm here today with a fantastic Paul Bennett. Welcome, Paul. Thank you, Lori. Thanks so much for, for getting in touch and coming on. I've been reading about your background and your, you have a ton of things that you do. Can you share with everybody all that is you? Oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> I get in a Well, you know, I always wanted to be an artist since I was a little kid, since I was nine years old. And um, I just was fortunate enough to kind of stay on that path and, and have continued uh, you know, the rest of my life here, and I hope, hope that will continue. Uh, but I've also branched into other things, like this book has been a big project, and writing the book, and also um, uh, learning the ukulele in the last couple of years has been a big change. Uh, music coming into my life, and I sing in a choir, and I also work in an, uh, I, uh, I'm in an improv group too, so there's a lot of theater in my life too. So um, a lot of the arts, and uh, some kind of happened by accident, and others just, uh, I think, maybe just out of boredom or just, you know, <laughs> wanting to do something different or just feeling pulled in a certain direction and, and needing something new to happen. Uh, so you've always been very creative. Very creative. Well, you know, my, my favorite uh, people back, you know, in grade school when you have to do a report on your, you know, your your favorite scientist or whatever, but mine were always inventors, whether they were artists or scientists. Um, I just like the idea of living and living an inventive life. And it just happens to be in the arts. I, I could see myself had, had things moved differently in my life that, that I could have, it could have been in any field really, because every field offers you that opportunity to be inventive. Mm -hmm. and, uh, but the arts all through school gave me that opportunity to always be creative. And it wasn't just memorizing things like so many of the other classes seemed to be history and math and whatever. And uh, so I think very early on, uh, children loved the idea of coming up with their own ideas and um, feeling like it, um, like they've created something. It's something very magical about making your first little clay sculpture or doing your first drawing, you know, and, and uh, you know, it's like, like being able to write your name. If you remember that excitement when you could first write your name, it was very, very exciting. I don't you know? remember that. Do you remember that? <laughs> I remember learning how to make letters. Yeah. And, but it's drawing, you know, you're basically yeah. You're drawing. Yeah. Even though you're, you're writing, but it's, it's shapes and you're learning shapes and lines. And, uh, so when did you decide to write and publish a book? Where did that come in? Well, um, it's just been in the last couple of years, and I've, I've been doing this night sky theme in my work for the last 30 years, 
And it, it seems to sell well, so I've made prints and greeting cards of it. But I've always just kind of invented my stars. And, and it just seemed like it, when I go out and look at the night sky that it just looks too complicated to learn about all those stars. Uh, I can see the Big Dipper and Orion's Belt, and that's about it. And um, the rest is seen too much. And, um, but I was just wondering one, one day, how come I never really look at the stars? And um, I do have a background in Greek history. I lived in Greece for six years, and I studied Greek history, and I, where I was teaching art uh, and art history at the time. So it seemed like, well, I should really get to know these constellations because I have a background in that. And uh, so I started to uh, find some books that simplified um, studying the constellations and astronomy. And uh, most of the books, I think, are too complex. And they, they want to tell you everything they know. And um, mm-hmm. so I found this book put up by the Smithsonian. And... Uh, Oh, I think it's just called Star Guide or something like that. But it's it's just beautifully done in how you you start with like the Big Dipper and it leads you to Polaris. You have the Little Dipper and that can lead you over to Cassiopeia and that will connect with Pegasus and and uh, uh, Perseus and that whole grouping there. And so you if you if you know if you have places to start and the, the the stars will guide you in these different directions. You know, the handle will point in one way, the back of the bucket of the Big Dipper will point you in another way. And so you can either go up or down from that point, or you can use the distance between the stars uh, at the end of the Big Dipper, for example, to, to count that distance like five times will get you to Polaris, you know, and five more times beyond will get you to Cassiopeia. So there are just these ways to measure in space without needing a telescope and just uh you know i have to keep going back to the books and kind of looking at them again and then i go out of the night sky and from my front porch i can see a lot of the constellations and that's one of the big advantages of living here in sisters um that are we like we live in a planetarium here and the night skies are as much an asset of this area as our mountains and lakes and rivers and uh, so anyway, the book came about because of this fascination with constellations all of a sudden. You know, it's like, well, how come I'm not doing that? So then I started working on all the zodiac constellations, and then I started including other constellations. Before I knew it, I had like 20 new paintings, and then I had all my other paintings that I've done over the years. So I thought, I should put these all together in a book. So I had all basically all the illustrations done, but it, it was like, well, how do I write about all this now? <laughs> <laughs> so that was really the big challenge. And um, so that took me the longest and it was probably the most painful because I kept changing and changing and changing things. And then I eventually threw out everything I had started <laughs> with and ch- totally started again. Really? <laughs> and I, I still could change things, you know. It, it was like, you know, it was like working with a piece of modeling clay, you know, you just keep reshaping things and it's exciting. But at the same time, it's like, when is it going to get there? You know, and what, what is there anyway? (laughs) Well, yeah. I remember my first book. I, I, uh, I wrote to my one friend that I knew at the time that was a writer. And I said, I can't stop editing. You know, when, how do I know when it's done? And he said, you just need to get to a point where it's good enough because it's never going to be done. Right. You can edit. I edited for 10 years. So, 
Oh, 10 years. Yeah, a long time. So I, I took that advice and said, that's it. You got to do it. <laughs> well, if you think about, well, like just an iPhone, for example, you know, how many times that has changed. And uh, so you, you have an idea and then you, you put it out there as best as you can for now. But, you know, it's, it may change later. Yeah. in its form and, and uh, information and everything. So, yeah, that at some point, it's not, it's not ever going to be this perfect thing that will never change afterwards. <laughs> so I think that's, uh, yeah, being able to say that's enough. That I've, you know, I can't do anymore. And, <laughs> and or I could, but <laughs> right. am I making it better at this point? So you ran a Kickstarter to get this book up and running. And last week on the podcast, I actually talked to a crowdfunding expert. So can you share a bit about your experience with it? Well, uh, first of all, I have to say I was surprised how stressful it was um, because, well, it's like watching your lottery numbers come up, you know, once every three days and, and, you, and you start to see that you've got this pattern there, but you're waiting for the next three days to the next number and you're going to, you wonder if you're going to make it or not and yeah. you're going to win that big prize. And so it's, it's exciting, but it's stressful with that too, because at the same time, you're, mar- you're trying to market to everybody you know and every little group of people. And so you're sending out cards and emails and uh, just, and you have to keep reminding people too that you're doing this and you have a particular timed period to, to succeed Sorry. and you need to keep uh, reshaping, you know, your award uh, system too, because maybe you've got, you, you see like you, you could add another original here or maybe uh, sell the idea of I'll paint something just for you. So you keep expanding on and learning, you know, there's a big learning curve there. Yeah. Uh, but really, it, it's a real, it takes a village kind of thing. So if you have to feel like you've got a village out there. <laughs> yeah, and you obviously well, did. You had a big one. Well, I had, I don't know, maybe 90 people or so behind me. But what really helped is that several people bought originals or bought the idea that I would paint something for them. So that it was the big pieces that really moved that uh, Kickstarter along. And uh, with some people, they just, they're just selling this one item, you know, so they need the everybody to buy at least one book, you yeah. know. Yeah. But, uh, as an artist, I could include, you know, prints and greeting cards and, and uh, originals. And so I had a lot of different things to sell. And, um, but, and, and uh, you know, as I said, my friend Dennis McGregor, who ran a, one earlier, uh, gave me some help too with with doing the Kickstarter because it's you know when you first started it's just like how much information do I need to give and um, yeah. and do I just put it out there and just sort of wait for the month to <laughs> what what do I do yeah <laughs> you do and, that <laughs> uh, so you, no, you just you just have to work on it all the time you know, during that month and yeah. uh, keep fine tuning it and. You just never know where, out of the blue, someone might, you know, suddenly buy 25 books or something or order an original or, but you just, you know, when you, all you got to, you know, you just have to look at other people's Kickstarters and see how they've set up. If you look at like a, someone who's 
as a Kickstarter for a CD. I mean, if you scroll all the way down their awards, the last one might be, you know, for $5,000, I will personally fly to wherever you live in the world and give you a private concert plus fix you dinner <laughs> and write a song about you. Oh, <laughs> my. Mean, so extreme sometimes. <laughs> it makes it funny to read. Yeah. And, and so it, it's a certain entertainment to all that. <laughs> and did your awards have that? Did you have some funny... Um, no, I didn't. Um, I didn't uh, do the funny thing. I should have, you know. Afterwards, I was reading others, and I thought, oh, I should have done something. Like <laughs> Come I did, I did start to include more of the original idea, mm -hmm. do an original for for you, and that would that really helped. But. Uh, I but think I'd have to say I won't come and cook, kick you, cook you dinner because I'm a horrible <laughs> cook. So I won't come for five thousand dollars. How about that? <laughs> I'll stay away from your kitchen. Oh, but it it's, it helps to you know those funny ones. They they kind of help to sell your personality. You know, yeah, and I think that's a big part of it is that yeah. showing that you have a personality, right? Right, um, absolutely. So you have a, a copy of your book there. Can you show us a little, maybe yes. some of the inside and what it looks like? And well, it's a hardbound, 48-page uh, book that I had uh, printed in China. Okay. And so, um, you know, it's it's beautifully covered. Can you see all that? I'm not, um, you know, the colors came out really nice. And uh, mainly I'm just, I was featuring a lot of the work I've done over the years. And so there would come, what, the text really is of a poetic nature so that, you know, you can turn just about anywhere in the book. And it says, uh, for example, things like, inhale deeply and slowly exhale the universe. Embrace this beauty with a thousand arms. Use your deeper senses. See the forms of the landscape caressed by moonlight. Watch the light bounce upon the water's surface. Listen for the beat. So that's just one sentence for each one of these. It's so very like meditative, very. Yes. Well, I, I, you know, in looking over the body, of my work, most of it has that quality of, um, well, of a contemplative nature that you're just in that state of wonder about the night sky. And that's really the theme, really, I think, um, is not so much I, I want to tell the stories of the constellations, but that I just want you to get out there and look at the night sky and enjoy that sense of wonder because I think it's a healthy thing. Yeah. And um, I, I think it's, um, especially if you live where you can so easily see the sky, but uh, I, you know, for thousands of years, we were connected with the night sky. It was our entertainment. Those were our Marvel uh, comic book characters up there, you know, and, <laughs> uh, but it told us, you know, how to navigate and when to plant. And, and uh, it just, uh, it, it gave us a lot of information that we are disconnected from. Now we look down at our phones all the time. And, and I think just the act of looking up uh, is a healthy act, you know. Uh, and so. spend that time and look up and have that sense of wonder. Yes. That us back a little bit and that we don't have on a daily basis. I agree. Yeah, you know, the wonder and the mystery. And, you don't, you know, again, you don't have to, know much of anything just it, it i think it just kind of fills you with that sense of wonder just like when you go to the the ocean and you you just yeah stand on the on the on the beach there and, you, and just there's something that's that 
is energizing there without having to understand every seashell on the beach, you know. Yeah, you just enjoy. <laughs> enjoy, right. Yeah, feel the awe. Yeah. So what, did, what have you learned? Uh, like, was there anything surprising or unexpected that you learned throughout the whole process of why don't I put my paintings into a book and here's my book published and ready and gorgeous and for sale? Is there anything that surprised you that you weren't expecting? Well, uh, I wasn't expecting it to be as stressful as it was. And oh. I, I guess you never know uh, until that happens. It's like, <laughs> You know, it's like being a parent. (laughs) (laughs) Let's not go there. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you might love it, but it's just, there are times when you're like, you're ready to, you know. uh, Yes. (laughs) It's it's a big project and uh, it it takes up a lot of your time and space and energy. And, um, but when, as long as things feel like they're moving forward, um, and it's something you feel like you just want to do. Um, it's also, it's very exciting too. Uh, you know, I suppose it's like anything that you really want to see happen. And let's say you're a downhill skier and you're now you're at the Olympics, you know, how did I get this far? And, yeah. and you're ready to, you know, to run that course. And it's kind of, it's exciting and stressful and all those things, but you know, it's like, yes, I made it this far, you know, <laughs> So there's a certain amount of, of um, just believing in yourself or just, you know, I think at the, at the beginning, there's kind of a pretend like I'll just, I'll just tell people I'm writing a book. And if I say that enough, maybe I will write a book. <laughs> I talk about real writers and I talk about me because, yeah, I think it's just that sense of what am I doing? Fake it till you make it. Yeah. Right. Well, I was listening to an interview with James Taylor the other day, and he was saying, you know, you, you pretend you're a songwriter and you pretend you can play the guitar and, and before you know it, you're actually doing it. <laughs> and people are paying. <laughs> right. So, uh, yeah, I mean, because you haven't done it, so you have to kind of go on that make-believe and, um, yeah. and that's kind of a fun ride. But, yeah, I, yeah, I like that. Uh, what advice would you give to people then besides, you know, the whole, <laughs> just keep doing it until you can do it? Well, I mean, look at what others have done and talk with others. And um, so that you don't waste a lot of time uh, doing things that have been done by many others over and over again. You know, just how to, how to successfully run a Kickstarter, for example, if that's what you want to do or any kind of fun sourcing. Um, and just once you have the book, you got to realize that it's going to fill up half your garage. <laughs> so make sure you've got storage space. Make sure you've got bookshelves that can support a ton of books. <laughs> and they aren't going to fall over on you when you put it up to the top, which almost happened to me. Oh, no. Yeah, the wheels gave out. Um, I thought I had these very clever, movable um, uh, bookshelves, and then the wheels just broke uh, after I loaded the, the last box up on top. And I thought that all of them were going to land on me and I'd be killed. I'd be killed by my <laughs> night skies. My night skies book <laughs> would, would kill me. <laughs> and I thought, well, it would be an interesting way to die as an artist. But anyway, they stopped. They didn't quite, they, they leaned a bit and then they stopped. <laughs> oh my goodness. But then I quickly started taking them off. But, uh, 
So anyway, you have to think about storage, space, and uh, keeping things dry, you know, for the, we have these around for the next couple of years. Yes. And, um, you know, it's um, when that truck backs up into your garage and, uh, you know, the, the person, the, the, when the truck driver got out of, out of the truck, she came over to me and she said, where's your uh, forklift? <laughs> and I'm supposed to have a forklift? <laughs> I didn't know that. I didn't know that. It's in the shop. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so the little details like that are, are important to keep in mind that that might happen. Oh, yeah. I, mean, I mean, I think most of those trucks, they have a way to lower it, but not that truck. Not and, that truck. Okay, yeah. Power. But things are heavy. They take up space. And, you know, each one of these boxes weighed like, 47 pounds <laughs> wow know? so it's it's a, you know there were 85 of them so there oh, how many did you order 2500 wow that's a commitment that's a that's a space commitment well i almost ordered 5000 you know i thought yeah i'll order 5000 because then the books are only going to be x amount of money each yeah so much all of those i'll make all this money <laughs> but then i at the last minute i thought no i'll just to 2,500. Yeah, so it's like a small order compared to yeah. what I was going to order. <laughs> yeah, you would have had no garage space. <laughs> no, none. <laughs> and I probably Where? wouldn't wouldn't be talking to you right. Now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you'd be under the under right. <laughs> Where can people buy your book? Well, if you go to uh, there are a couple ways. My website nightskiesbook.com okay. is a pretty easy way to remember that website. Um, and then there's paulallenbennett.com um, is another way to get to the website. Okay. And if you live in Central Oregon at the Palina, there are several bookstores that carry the book right now. Palina Springs Bookstore, Herringbone Books in Redmond, uh, the uh, Roundabout Books in Bend, Palina Springs is in Sisters, Black Cute Ranch carries them. So there, I'm, that's another thing to consider is marketing. How do you get the books out? And uh, how do you, you know, you have to give yourself plenty of time to know that you're going to be spending quite a bit of your time trying to market this item. Yeah. And that really could be the hardest part. Right now, I, I'm enjoying it. So it doesn't feel hard because, it, you know, I've got all these books that I'm trying to <laughs> move out of my garage right now. So I'm happy with every box that disappears. It's just like yeah. I've got that much more space now in my garage. So, um, it's, uh, but you got to think about that. It's, it's going to take a while to market. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To move those books. I loved your answer for the best thing you've bought. Oh, yes. <laughs> there. Not quite a forklift, but. <laughs> yes. Well, uh, our lawnmower, the pull on the lawnmower, the, the rope pull broke. And so um, I spent about seven hours trying to fix that one day last, last week. And I thought, that's enough. That's enough time. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't make any more sense to spend another minute on this. I'm going to go buy a new lawnmower. <laughs> and I felt, you know, I had the money, you know, from the books. And so I bought a real nice lawnmower. Oh, I love it. Works great. And, uh, <laughs> and then I bought a new printer because my printer I had before would print in the middle of the night or wouldn't print at all. And it just had a mind of its own, this old printer <laughs> that was only a year old. But wow. I just couldn't stand it because I was, again, it was like, I put so much time trying to get this to work. It seems to work, but only when it wants to. <laughs> so I have a 
I'm, I'm very, I'm, t I'm uh, happy in my printer right now. Good, good. <laughs> yeah, giving it a little pet. That's nice. <laughs> right. Um, awesome. Well, I see your, I see your ukulele behind you, and you had shared yes. with me that you, you decided learning a new instrument was on your bucket list. So I think everybody would love to hear you. Well, I think why I did this book too is really so I could play my ukulele for people. <laughs> Oh, that's <laughs> I'll write and publish a book so that. Yeah, so it all comes down to the ukulele. <laughs> <laughs> so I wrote several uh, songs. Yes, when I uh, let me when I turned sixty-four, I asked myself if I had a bucket list, and immediately it was really as if someone yelled in my ear, "Learn a musical instrument and write your own songs." And so it was like, "Do it now!" and um, so I started the next week. A neighbor of mine uh, teaches ukulele and has a little group. So she loaned me a ukulele. And there's a group in Bend, 20 miles from where I live. I go over there every week and play with them. And there are lots of teachers online. So I would go on YouTube and, and uh, try to learn from everybody I could <clears throat> with the singular goal of wanting to write my own song. So I don't know anybody else's songs but mine. <laughs> You know, a lot of people get in these groups and they memorize as many songs yeah. as they can. But I don't, um, I just want to know how to play these different chords uh, so then I can write my own songs. And because um, a lot of songs really are two or three chords. Yeah. And so it's like, well, if that's all there is to songwriting, <laughs> then I just got to find the story and the words to fit. <laughs> so simple. <laughs> right. Yeah, it seemed pretty straightforward there. So, um, but um, so I've um, written a lot of songs that deal with Greek myths, and uh, so I was thinking about the Great Sphinx of Egypt one day, and I was thinking, well, what if all those mythological creatures actually existed? You know, what, what if there was a sphinx, but not not a big sphinx, but just a normal sized sphinx, like a hundred fifty pound cougar with a human head. That's, so just kind of think of that. Now, so there was an Egyptian sphinx, but there was also a Greek sphinx, and uh, that sphinx was a woman, and uh, that uh, she had the body of a lion, the face of a woman, and the wings of an eagle. So I thought, well, what if those two got together? And if they had human faces, they probably had human voices. And if they had human voices, they probably could sing. If they could sing, they probably could harmonize. And if they harmonized, they probably would want to do what I'm doing now, is, is perform for people. So I imagine this, this couple of sphinxes traveling around Egypt and, and Greece and um, entertaining people. So that's what this song is about. Are we ready? Do we have any time left? <laughs> oh, sure. For this, yes. There once, lived a, there once lived a beast back in old Egypt land With the body of a lion and the face of a man He loved a young lion with a womanly face She had the wings of an eagle and could fly with such grace A woman with wings, a woman with wings An enchanting creature, a woman with wings they both love performing cross lands to the sea, entertaining their fans from Karnak to Delphi. He'd sit on his platform, his voice clear and proud. She'd carry the song flying over the crowd. She'd climb and then dive to the ground without fear, land back on the stage. All the people would cheer. 
A woman with wings, a woman with wings, an enchanting creature, a woman with wings. At the creature convention, they often were featured, where centaurs and satyrs and sirens would dance. The harpies and griffins would sing in a chorus. The Cyclops recited his archaic chants. Om, Medusa on harpsichord scared you to start. The Minotaur harmonized cello was part. The unicorns pranced to the sounds of the strings, and above them there hovered a woman with wings, a woman with wings, a woman with wings. An enchanting creature, a woman with wings. But one day a hunter an arrow let fly at the strange winged creature in a late summer sky. It struck in her heart and she tumbled down. A lone single feather followed her to the ground. Now the great sphinx of Egypt sits facing the east. He grieves for his queen, this mythical beast. And when the wind blows across the desert in spring, it sounds like the voice of a woman with wings. A woman with wings, a woman with wings. An enchanting creature, a woman with wings. that as a storybook <laughs> that is your next project you can paint paint your songs or, or a movie you know a, a oh. hour Disney movie <laughs> well it's got the death right <laughs> Disney they always there always has to be some death so there you go <laughs> right yeah the little operatic moment there and <laughs> yeah well it's it's a sad song uh, but it's it's rich in visual in its imagery and and um yeah. and it's about bringing in all those characters it really is yeah you know we grow That's up so hearing great. about all these different things and so it's nice to kind of you know a song not only tells a story but it, the music adds that emotional element and uh, so um it, you know, suddenly this story you've made up uh, is really touching people deeply, you know. And uh, so I always have to follow that up with a happy song or something. So, but it's, uh, yeah. It's, that was great. Thank you so much. Yeah, you I really enjoyed talking to you. And I will be sharing where people can buy your book and get to know you a little bit better on your website. So thank you so much for coming on. Well, thank you, Lori. Mm-hmm. You're welcome. Okay, bye for now, Paul. All right. Okay. You've been listening to the Writer's Way podcast. For show notes, links to guests' information, and to learn more about the Writer's Way, check out loririder.com. Until next week, enjoy this chapter of your life.